0: Hi, everyone. It's Aviva Romani, and this is Kindred Cast, unfiltered conversations with the business and cultural leaders who shape the world we live in. Kindred Cast is a production of Kindred Media, powered by Lion Tree, the global investment and merchant bank. For more insightful content, including our podcasts, newsletters, and events, and to get in touch with us, search for Kindred Media wherever you're listening to this.
1: Maverick Carter, thank you for coming on to Lion Tree's version of the shop.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, brother. Thank you for having me, Ari. I appreciate My it.
1: My pleasure. This is Kindred, and Kindred's all about our friends, our people, and uh, also purpose and giving uh, inspirational stories, not just messages, but stories about where we've come from, where we're going. You come from Akron. I grew up in Baltimore. Yep. It reminds me a lot of each other.
2: Yeah, very similar places, yep. absolutely. We
1: discovered each other recently and a deeper level.
2: Yeah, but when it comes when you think about the word kindred, we discovered each other. I don't even remember when, but it seems like I've known you 25 or 30 years I know. now. But that I was know. a couple months ago or something. We
1: yeah. really connected. I know. Well, we, I think we were always talking business. I know we intersect on in a lot of business ideas and ventures. You're on the board of Live Nation of with course. our friend Rapino, uh, who's a star. And... Um, but then we were at an event, and uh, we went downstairs after the event, and I think Buster Rhymes was uh, Yeah, that's
2: performing. right. Exactly. And you
1: looked over, and you're like, wait a second here. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, by that time, you were the only guys that still had a suit jacket on, as you normally do. But the fact that you had a suit jacket on, you knew every word of Buster Rhymes. I was like, what the hell? Hu- I need to know your story why you are this and no, and Busta Rhymes raps really fast so it's hard yeah. to with the word. Yeah, it's one of my favorites.
1: Yes. Streets of Baltimore, you know. Exactly. You can never leave it. Take exactly. it with you everywhere. Exactly. It's a secret weapon as I, as I get in those boardrooms. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but this is not about me, it's about you. So, I want to talk about Untitled, Spring Hill, your relationship with LeBron and really where Maverick is going.
2: Yep.
1: But, Take me through the roots of Akron, because you tell me like that's really where it all started for you.
2: That's where it all started for me. And as you said, your memory of lyrics and hip-hop lyrics is a secret weapon in the boardroom. I would say the same thing for me. Part of my secret weapon in the boardroom is, or if I go into meetings or whatever you want to call it, I call it the spirit of hip-hop, having the audacity of hip-hop, which I got as a youngster listening to hip-hop and having the audacity to be able to go into a board meeting at Live Nation and say, I've been on that board, again, shout out to Rapino. he put me on the board in 2018. I'm not in the music business, but I love hip hop. And But more importantly, to be able to go in that room and, as you know, you get in a the boardroom, there's a lot of acronyms, AOI, and this and that. And me go, oh, wait guys, one second. I don't know what the fuck that means. <laughs> so can someone tell me? And they're like, oh yeah, annual operating income. I'm like, got it. Okay, clear. I got it. I'm clear now. But to have the audacity to sit there and be myself, admit what I don't know, But also, if I know something about a topic, to expand on it. So that's one of my secret weapons. My other one is being from Akron. We're kind of the little brother to Cleveland as cities go. And I think, you know, Cleveland sometimes gets beat up nationally. So it's like the big brother who gets beat up turns and beats on the little brother. So we always, Akron, we have a chip on our shoulder. I think LeBron probably goes into the games 20 years in and still has that chip. I definitely do. But also, growing up in Akron, the way I grew up, My grandmother, who named me, really taught me, and I got my first glimpse, and she didn't even know, she probably didn't even know what the word entrepreneur was to the day she died, but I got to see how an entrepreneur, and forget how you run a business, because as you know, that's extremely hard, and it comes with all type of difficulties day in, day out, but how you treat people and maintain and foster relationships, and then how to spot someone who's not good for you is what I learned because she ran after hours where I grew up in as a kid, that was my first job when I was five. So how she treated and greeted and cared for people and was curious about them and not just interested in how she would make money off of them running her business, but she really cared about the people Is a secret weapon that I learned and use to this day.
1: By the way, entrepreneur is interesting because we always talk about it. It's like one of these almost slang buzzwords, cultural words. Barry Ditto told me that, That's a made-up word of our generation. In his generation, they didn't use the word entrepreneur. They just did things. They just built businesses. Mm -hmm. So you double-click on it, and you're talking about exactly what you just said, which is, what are the characteristics of an entrepreneur? Exactly. And that's the baseline.
2: That is the baseline. And then you just build off of that. Yeah.
1: Right? And either you have it or you don't, or you want to jump into the unknown based on those weapons, so to speak. And apply them and adapt yourself in different cycles and different times, or you don't have it and you play into normal structures. Totally. When did you first know that you had it?
2: <sighs> to Barry Diller's point, I didn't know, you know, my career started as an intern at Nike. Then I worked there in Beaver and Oregon as a consultant. I'm sorry, I went back to college, but they kept me on as a consultant. Then they hired me. And then I left to start my own business. But I left because LeBron asked me, I, you know. I felt like Nike was my dream job. My dream was to stay there and work at Nike my whole career and be an executive. I would have been just happy doing that. But Then when I left, I think I got exposed to companies and starting companies and started my own and investments and looking at other ones is where I learned it. But what I really learned is, it's funny, I was having this conversation the other day over lunch with Joel Embiid. He and I have developed a nice relationship and he's one of the most graceful, gracious people I've met. Extremely smart. Really thoughtful, obviously a super talented basketball player. You know, he was in LA and just wanted to come by and ask me questions just about starting companies, investing, and like being a basketball player who wants to do more and all this. And I said to him, listen, as a basketball player, but then also as an entrepreneur, one of the key things, and I see people who are very successful like yourself, is you have to be Mm user-friendly. I said, you have to be very user-friendly. And I don't give a damn how good your idea is. You have to be user-friendly. The people that you work with have to be able to use you and communicate with you. Then you're going to need other people, whether you're selling them your product or you need to buy something from them. You need to be user-friendly. And I told him it's pretty easy to be user-friendly and people fuck it up all the time. Pick up the phone, call people back. If you say you're going to do something, do it. If you say you're going to be there, be there. That's like the easiest things to do. And I was explaining this to him and I was saying the one thing about me and my company, Spring Hill, uninterrupted, working with talent, working with creators, working with other business. We do so many partnerships. Our whole business is an ecosystem of working with writers, directors, athletes, creating content, then selling it to Apple, Amazon, this, that working with big brands like Nike and Google and Epic, the key to all that is our company has to have amazing ideas and we have to be user-friendly. You have to be able to extract the ideas and partner with people. And for me, I've kind of always been user-friendly because I like people. I'm curious about the world, so I like to learn from people. And you see people for
1: who they are and where they are.
2: Exactly. And I do what I say I'm going to do. If I can't do it, I say, I can't do it. And you tell people and you give them notice. And it's like so easy to be user-friendly. And that is a big part of running any company. I don't give a damn what company you run. Even Steve Jobs, is, is made rest in peace, as great as he was, and he built the biggest company in the world, he had to be user-friendly to work with his team around him, all the people around him, like Johnny Ives and Woj. He, he worked with the music business and artists, and it's just a thing you have to be. Or people start going like, I'm not talking to him, and then you're done.
1: Yeah, but you also have to have a framework for how you're going to live your life, right? Totally. That's beyond business. It's purposeful. I read that for Spring Hill, you modeled this maybe after like your upbringing in Akron. You said, I need 50-50 employees, men and women. You have the the majority of people of color. You have to actually back up what you say.
2: You have to, again, you have to do what you say you're going to do and commit to something. You also have to commit to something, right? That's another thing people sometimes miss. Meaning you have to plant your flag. And that's what you have to be. And when you say you're going to do something, you have to do it. We set out to build a company that is a creative company that tells stories and creates content that develops IP we then can take and bring it to life in many different ways through commercialization and our aspiration. As I always say, it's arrogant, but to me, every entrepreneur has arrogant aspiration. That's a key attribute of an entrepreneur. You say, I'm going to do something before you've done one thing, and it's aspirational and arrogant. It's a vision. It's a vision. So I wanted to build Disney for culture. That's the aspiration still to this day. So creativity had to be at the center. So our creative team and what we make, we live and die by the ideas we come up with or don't come up with. So in order to get to amazing ideas, I was committed to it because it's part of the business and part of who I am to build a very diverse company. If you put two people in the room who come from the same place, who live the same, who live in the same neighborhood, you're most likely not going to get discourse. From my point of view, discourse always leads to the best ideas where you go, you feel one way, I feel another way. It could be about dinner tonight, or you could be like, man, let's go to dinner. Here. And I'm like, oh, I don't like that place. Yeah. But if we always eat the same thing, you go, well, what do you want to go? And I say, this place. And you go, well, I don't think that place is that good. It forces you and I both to pick the best place, and we end up with the best option yeah. because we've had this back and forth. Yeah, I call
1: that like the stew of life. You put all the best ingredients into the stew, and it tastes much better exactly. than if I had my own view of my own ingredients. I want the best ingredients in there and whatever I thought were good last year are now like bland.
2: Exactly. So now at our company, just over 200 people it's exactly 50-50 male to uh, female and it's 67% people of color. Those are definitely markers of diversity. But more importantly, if you come and meet our team, there are people from South America, there are people from Argentina, Brazil, there are people from Europe, people from all over the states that we have a creative guy from australia People from new mexico they're from all over the world and they're from different backgrounds and some sport lovers some people love art so that really leads to true diversity the gender thing is definitely diversity the people of color is definitely diversity but then i'm really proud of how diverse our team is geographically economically, everything, but it leads to amazing ideas because we're always getting that discourse that I actually root for and push for in the company.
1: Is that what the Disney of culture means? It's having a cultural diversity of ideas? Yes. Platform?
2: Yeah, and we're not reinventing anything. Disney, obviously, it always sounds funny when I say Disney. Like, I'm not meaning to compare our company to Disney, but that's the
1: aspiration. When I say Disney, when you say Disney, what do you think of? So
2: here's what you think of. You think of a company... That is a creative entertainment and content company. But really what they are, they're a brand machine. They pump out IP through content storytelling that they then bring to life. It's a very matrix company because you have to think on one end, they make movies. On a whole nother end, they make roller coasters. I couldn't think of two things further apart in <laughs> business. I <laughs> mean, that's literally, you know what I mean? It's like, Hannah Montana and everything. Yeah, you making movies is a whole different set of people in a whole different part of the country that come up with movie ideas and writers and directors. And Roller Coaster's like engineers and very delicate engineers mm-hmm. to like build. so
1: And Imagineers,
2: they call them. Imagineers. But the thread that they pull is happiness. How does their movie make you happy? Does the Roller Coaster make you happy? And everything in between, the hats, the T-shirts, they just hold on to that thread, which is brilliant. And that thread, they're like, happiness how do we make the happiest place on earth how do the movies make you happy so that is what i think of when i think of disney
1: and happiness is a feeling
2: happiness is an emotion and a feeling and
1: And, And every brand needs an emotional attachment
2: at spring hill and uninterrupted our thread is empowerment and we live by it we commit to it so everything we do on the top of the funnel is storytelling movies tv content with brands but we always do it through the lens of empowerment. and Empowerment can show up in a couple of different ways. It can show up in a way that the content is literally empowering. So if you watch our show, The Shop, it's about community empowerment, bringing people together from all walks of life that you would never see, that you would never expect to be together. Having a conversation is about bringing in the community together and having different perspectives. Or it can come in the form of, we made a movie called House Party and our director, Kyle Maddock, has never directed a feature film. So we're empowering a creator there. So creativity is at the center of what we do, like Disney, their threat is happiness, our threat is empowerment. So now when we take the shop that has become a decent sized piece of IP for us, and we're gonna do a physical location, well, that physical location has to be about empowering the community. So that will affect where it's located, that will affect the programming at the place, that will affect everything that happens for that physical location, and the show. So when I say Disney for culture, that's what I mean. And pulling that thread of empowerment through everything that we do, like Disney does. Yeah. And really being an IP-led company. And I always tell people, I'm fortunate because I did not graduate from a formal college. But people ask me, would you graduate? I say Nike. So I learned what I know there. And I always tell people, Nike and Disney are much more close than Disney is to Sony or Warner Brothers or Paramount. They're much more like Nike. The only difference is at the top of the funnel, Nike uses LeBron and Serena and Tiger and Michael Jordan, and Disney uses Captain America and the Avengers and the Toy Story characters. But at the top of the funnel, they're connecting with you through emotion. Disney's emotion is happiness, and Nike's emotion is high performance and victory. Nike literally is a Greek word for victory. Then once you're in, They sell you different products, but it doesn't matter the time. They they storytell.
1: So Spring Hill and The Shop, Hustle, you've gotten a lot of Emmy Awards and nominations. Who are your characters?
2: Our characters, we always use, our thread is empowerment. Our characters are always real-life people. And we build brands and IP around real-life people, just like we launched this brand, Hanakuma, with Naomi Osaka. So Naomi is... What story she wants to tell is how that brand will come to life. We have a brand called Love Is with Megan Rapino and Sue Bird. That's all about supporting the LGBTQ community. We've told a lot of stories with that brand. We're doing a licensed deal with a couple of big companies now for Love Is. So we're bringing Love Is to life in many ways. So our characters are always real-life people who are about empowerment or who we want to empower.
1: Got it. So, the shop, for example, had that idea come. You love it because I can see when you're doing it, you're bringing different people together, creating a discourse, a conversation where they wouldn't otherwise be talking to each other except for through your convening power. Yes. And you're bringing entertainment, sports, culture, politicians, politicians together in a room. You have reach now. It's on YouTube and moved it from HBO and People can watch it. So take me through how that idea came to be and what was the last shop you did and like, who are some of the characters?
2: Yeah, so the idea came to be based off the real-life experience of the barbershop in every community, but obviously I experienced it in a Black community. I grew up in a predominantly, basically all Black community. If you went in the barbershop in the neighborhoods that I grew up in and my partners grew up in on a Saturday morning, It was a reflection of the community, men and women. You would think it's just men, but there were women there because they were there with their kids or they brought their son there. But it was a real reflection of the community. And what I mean that, like in my neighborhood barbershop, you'd have the policeman sitting there waiting to get his haircut. You'd have the drug dealer sitting there waiting to get his haircut. You'd have the guy who worked at the Chrysler factory sitting there waiting to get his haircut. You'd have the local high school basketball star waiting there. The little kid with his mom who was a social worker. So then they're all sitting there and there's four or five people in the chair. And then there's this couch is kind of the waiting room. But then ensued there'd be a conversation. The conversation could zig and zag, and it could be about sports, about politics. And each member of the community would go in and out of the conversation with their point of view and their perspective. But it usually the conversation centered around the community what's happening at the local high school basketball team and what's happening with the local community and what's going on. And then it would get to some national things, NFL football, whatever. Our CMO, Paul Rivera, PR as I call him, him and Randy, who's like my brother, LeBron's chief of staff, they had this idea to take that feeling and that Saturday afternoon in the barbershop we grew up. And they actually, the first idea was to make it a podcast. We were all set to make it a podcast. We went to one of our partners, Beats, And their CMO, to his credit, Omar was like, you guys got cold here, but a podcast is too small. We should make it video. And we shot the first one in Toronto 2014 and it just took off and it went and went. We did a couple ourselves with Beats. Then HBO came calling and we did four seasons on HBO. And now we're in the fifth season officially. And we do it on YouTube, which has been great for us. HBO was a fantastic partner. Really appreciate them. They helped us launch it. But YouTube with a click of a button, we become international. So I was in London a couple of weeks ago and people were like thanking me. Like, I was like, what did I do for you? I don't know. And they're like, well, we can now watch the shop. We don't have to search for it. So it makes it international. It makes us be able to have more flexibility creatively. So if there's an episode that should be 45 minutes, we can now do that on HBO. We couldn't because they're a cable network. So the episodes always had to be edited to 28 minutes. Now, if we want to take an episode and chop it into two thirties or two twenties, just gives us more flexibility. And we brought in a great partner in the vodka, Grey Goose, which has been great, which we couldn't integrate brands before. So it's just been fantastic in the shop. We believe has so many more legs. We're looking at how do we bring it to life in physical. We're looking, how do we bring it to life in products? We've done apparel, we've done candles. So we're going to keep expanding that brand and that IP, the shop, but the thread, will always be about how we really empowering the community.
1: Yeah. What was the last one you recorded?
2: We recorded on Sunday. It was pretty amazing. I mean, everybody was coming up and saying, our director, all the team, all the productions, who was our best one ever, literally this Sunday, this past Sunday before this, in New York, and we had Idris Elba, Drew Barrymore, Kyrie, and Paul Rabel. It was really, really and me and PR, of course, who were always on as kind of the pseudo host. But it was really powerful and strong episode.
1: What was the takeaway?
2: Of the last one? Mm-hmm. The takeaway was that Drew Barrymore said something that I felt so good, but I had never thought of it. She said she's a fan of the show. She said it on the show. She says, I'm a fan of this show. I watch it all the time. And the thing I love the most, she says, you guys have an ability to go deep, but not be heavy. And I was like, wow, I never thought about it that way. And that was the takeaway. The show, the episode is very deep. There's like a slight heavy moment when Drew starts crying and then we all start crying, although PR claims he had sweat in his eye. (laughs) Claims he wasn't crying, but we all all dropped a tear. But it's very deep and personal, and it gets very personal. And what I always notice when we're doing the show, we've had Barack Obama and David Beckham and yeah. Jay-Z yeah. and James Corden and that's Chelsea Handler and we've had Drew Barrymore so many amazing people is that Tom Brady Tom Brady and we've had so many people but once you break the ice people just open up people yeah. are dying to open up yeah like I thought it was so amazing that they get picked up that Brady on the show said because I always wondered this and I know Tom pretty well and I knew this but it was just interesting to hear him say it when he's giving an interview after the game and he said this, he's not saying what he really wants to say. And he said this on the shop. He goes, 98% of what I'm saying is just getting through the interview. I'm not actually spilling out all my feelings in the interview, which you can watch and you can tell he's a pro and he's, yeah. he's, he's got his talking point yeah. and he's done and he's out. But once we break that ice and it's like once one person gets deep then everybody, like it's like a therapy session almost, but it's never heavy. We always add some levity and some laughter. And because that is being true to the barbershop, people interrupt people. And it's like on the last episode, Drew, we were talking, everyone was talking and someone started talking and Drew kept saying, she would say like to the person, hey, can I ask you a question? I said, Drew, this is the shop. Don't fucking ask. Can you ask a question? Just throw it out there. Just ask. You don't have to say, can I ask you a question? We don't do that. Here. But her statement of being deep without heavy, I thought was really good.
1: Yeah. That's great.
2: And so Spring
1: Hill overall, though, is content, production, empowerment. You have investors, uh, I think the last round, validated at almost $800 million valuation. And the best is yet to come. You have a lot of projects. Hustle, obviously, is out there on Netflix now. It's a great show, great movie with Adam Sandler. What's to come with Spring Hill?
2: I think for us, whatever we were valued at, whatever, but our mission of empowering greatness in all individuals, we're just... As you said it's early we, we've done a lot but we got so much more to go from this what our company stands for is an emotion and that emotion is global so i think going global with that whether it's ourselves or with a partner or getting a bigger platform to really tap in with people on this emotion we've seen it come to fruition in a real way when we started uninterrupted which is our athlete empowerment brand, all about sports. It was like nobody was really doing it. I mean, Jeter had started the Players' Tribune, but it was so different than what we were doing. We were trying to build a brand. They were building a media company, a website. We were building a feeling. And now you see it everywhere with the Manning cast. That's all a version of giving athletes the platform and letting them do it, or Amazon bringing on athletes to do things, simulcast of the games. It's just everywhere. So we know that feeling is a big one in that emotion. We think we've carved out that space very well. Now our goal is to take it international, be international with it. There may even be some big pieces of IP out there that I want to look at and really go take down something big. Because you have cash, right? We have cash and we have cash available. We can go get more cash. And I think for us is to really continue to drive home that feeling of empowerment, create IP and then bring it to life to people who want to be empowered in a massive way on a global basis.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and you also haven't gone into gaming yet and no. other verticals within the broader cultural. We have ecosystem. not. We
2: have not went all the way into gaming, but as you know, Epic Games sits on our cap table. Yeah, they invest in us, and their president, who I love, one of my favorite people in the world, Adam Sussman, yep. sits on our board. So we have an eye to that, and they've brought us. We've done a bunch of content with them, figuring out how does that emotion of empowerment fit into gaming and into the metaverse. We're working on that with them. So yes, but we have gaming to go. We've not launched either Spring Hill or Uninterrupted in a big way international. We're looking at taking the shop to UK. They want the shop UK really, really bad. It makes sense as the next place to do a very localized version for the UK with UK people. So we're going to do that. Do you have Um, any people without hair on the shop? (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. Well, if you came to the shop (laughs) We can can trim your beard and mustache. Yeah, because if
1: you have one hair out of place, you need a haircut. (laughs) Exactly, (laughs) exactly, exactly. I think the other thing about brands and about you that comes across right away and with any community is trust. Totally. You can't build a company, a philosophy. You can't have a vision to go all the way in the long term, especially in this environment, without having people trust you without having your employees trust you without having people trust the mission that's consistent that's pure that you're going to be around for a while you have a very trusted partnership with lebron yep how did that come to be both ways because it obviously goes all the way back to childhood which is which is core because it came way back before you both had anything beyond just friendship but How did you know first that you guys could trust each other and how did it last? Because a lot of relationships break down over time.
2: Totally break down. Obviously, any level of trust is built over time of like showing up over and over. And I think with two people, listen, he's my partner and my friend. It's so strange to think about it as I'm thinking about it now. It's like I talk to him every day in some sort of form or fashion, whether it's text or voice note or phone call. And... A lot of times it's just laughing and joking in a group text or sometimes it's serious shit or sometimes it's a deal or whatever. But, you know, he quite frankly may be the most famous person on earth. He's definitely one of them. I understand that because I have a brain and I can understand that, but I still just see him as my friend and my brother. So I think the trust has developed over time of like, he knows I'm going to tell him exactly how the fuck I feel. And he can like it, love it, or hate it. He can tell me that, Get the fuck out of here, kiss his ass or whatever. But he knows he's going to. And I know he'll do that to me. Now it's been over 30 years of us doing that part. Plus, as I said earlier, I do what I say I'm going to do. And he does what he says he's going to do. If he says I'm going to do something, he's the best in the world. I mean, he's so committed to everything. If he says he's going to do something, he's going to do it at one o'clock. He shows up at 1235.
1: But he never says to you, hey, Matt, it's been fun. You've been great for me when I was in school and great to launch the career and great to launch the businesses. But now I'm on to the next chapter and why don't you stay back and just run these businesses for me?
2: Never. In fact, I've said that to him. I said to him, he's dead set and he's going to buy a basketball team when he's done playing. And I said, just so we're fucking clear, I have no intention on being like the CEO of a basketball team or the GM. No disrespect to anyone who does those jobs. That's just not what I want to do. So you're going to buy a team. Great. I'll set the deal up. I'll help you work on the deal to get the team. But I have zero intentions on like, being the GM and negotiating with some little Billy's agent is that you drafted and like, or I said, if you call me, I'll give you, but I want to go work and like keep running the company. And he's like, yeah, 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 fine. And yeah, I can yeah, tell fine. he's I'll like, I'll yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. He's like, yeah, I think what he's thinking, <laughs> maybe when he hears this, he's like, Yeah, yeah, whatever. He's thinking (laughs) that's years from now and you'll change your mind or I'll help you change your mind. You know, he'll probably make me, I shouldn't say make me, but he'll make me invest some money, which I'm fine to do that. But I don't want to like be the GM of the team. This is
1: Maverick Carter, the future GM of (laughs) the basketball
2: team. So it goes the other way sometimes, but that's our relationship. He knows I'm serious, but we'll laugh and joke about like a thing like that. And I'm like, yo, that's your dream. That ain't my dream. Right. And we can talk like that. But, he, no, he never goes like next chapter. I think he just assumes that we're going every chapter together. And I do too. Except for when he gets a team. I'm, <laughs> I'm putting my money in and trusting that he's going to do the work. And that'll be his job. He'll be done playing. Yeah. But I'm out. But, yes, that trust is from things like that. Like me saying that to him and saying, hey, just so you know, that's your dream. And I know you trust me and you want me around it. I will go to games, we can speak about it, but I'm not taking a full-time job with a basketball team.
1: Now, I understand the trust today. I understand you can extrapolate that trust tomorrow. But when you were 20 and he was 18, and he was coming out, or you both were coming out of the projects in Spring Hill, right, in Akron, why you, why the two of you, why were you in the room in that position when he had to go from high school to the world
2: yeah great question i guess this will sound a little strange i mean i guess some people are say, but i think it goes all the way back to lebron and i played one year of high school basketball together because i'm older than him in that year was a very interesting year i was a senior he was a freshman so we were three years apart and in that year we had a lot of success in fact we won every game and won the state tournament but we played as a team we had me him and another player LeBron actually was our leading scorer as a freshman. He averaged 18 points. I averaged 17. We had another guy averaged 15. So it was a real team effort. Even though he averaged the most points, we all did our jobs. But I was the only senior on the team with other freshmen, a couple of freshmen, a lot of sophomores and a lot of juniors. We went to a Catholic school in Akron called St. Vincent, St. Mary's. And I think I had been there. I understood high school basketball. And it was a big deal to be a freshman playing high school basketball. And I think, In that year, he came to follow my leadership that year, along with everyone else on the team, but just talking about him, and also understand my commitment and how I took on responsibility and how I was not a person who did not understand that a high tide raises all ships. Everything that I am, he saw that season from November to March, and we won.
1: You were the veteran.
2: Yeah, I was the veteran. We won the state title. And I think he saw a lot in me then, and then in that moment, we really developed a relationship of like big brother, little brother a bit. And we had success. So that always helps. We had a lot of success that year. Then I went off to college for a year. Everyone wants
1: to hear this story, but people always ask me how I'm close to certain CEOs or quote unquote moguls, et cetera. And I said, there's no schmooze factor. <laughs> like, you know, it looks that way, but in reality, you do a deal. It has to work really really well He's it has exactly. to crush it and then they pick up the phone again if it doesn't work just make no mistake about it they're not they're moving up, on there, there's no whining and dining after no, that you know? no. it has to work of course and then again, you can keep playing yes so that's what happens if you have that camaraderie and it works and it works that's the metric that's the metric
2: <laughs> was it successful yeah and people like LeBron who are like people you do with they like to win and they win a lot in mm-hmm. life and that's just who they are So and they want to keep playing and they want to keep playing and they want to keep winning so we've had some losses but we've had a lot of wins together and i think it started that year and i think he just saw who i am like cuz we you know we were in a locker room together and he was lebron was a youngster but i think even at 15 and 16 he was one of the smartest people amongst all this around the world smart people i've met he has a gift of intelligence that is as high as anyone I've ever seen so I know he's very observant and he sees everything so I'm sure that even at that age he retains a lot too and can apply it he just saw who I am and I think the trust started there and then it just built and then we started to do things and had more success to the point now it's easy you know it's been 30 years so it's like really easy now
1: yeah and he was a pretty good basketball player you saw right
2: away He's okay. He's starting to figure it out. I mean, he's starting to figure it out. Yeah, he's starting to figure it out. Hopefully, he doesn't figure it out before he's too old. But he's starting to. <laughs> he's starting <laughs> There's to all his out. ownership. You know exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> By the way, that's why I want nothing to do with the team because he's going to be frustrated that why isn't this guy doing this or doing that? Why? Isn't... And I'm like LeBron. That's what you did. Everybody's not you. Relax. Yeah. Exactly. The intersection of
1: your experience with Nike, which was a huge impact on your life.
2: But totally. also a huge
1: impact on his life. We always talk about a story, but I just want to go to one part of the story where when LeBron was coming out of school, there were sneaker contracts, right? Mm-hmm. There were shoe contracts. And Nike won. Mm-hmm. And the negotiation was
2: really down to… Three companies. Three companies. It started with three. Back then, Reebok was separate of Adidas. It was Reebok… Nike and Adidas. The Chinese brands hadn't emerged yet. And then Adidas kind of fell out, and it came down to Nike and Reebok, really.
1: And then at the end, it was really Phil Knight, the then CEO, Mm -hmm. Nike, and LeBron. Mm -hmm. And you were in the room. And how did Nike win that contract?
2: Nike at the end did not offer the most money. This goes to who LeBron is, which I obviously know very well. But even knowing who someone is... When you see them do it, it's a different thing. So I've seen him do it a couple of times, but Phil and Nike, but Phil basically said to him, because they hadn't offered the most money. Reebok was 25 or 30 million more that he would have in the contract. Yeah. His first deal with Nike was when you valued the whole thing was 90 million or 87 million to be exact, but rounded up, called 90 million. And LeBron was around 18 years old at the time, right? He wasn't around, he was exactly 18. 18. This was in. June of 2003, so he didn't turn 19 until that December. And Reebok was at like $120 million. And Nike basically said, we're not going any higher. But Phil said, let me ask you a question, LeBron. And the folks at Nike, Lynn Merritt, who worked Brandon the basketball sports market, he said, listen, it's very simple question that I'm going to ask you. Question is, how good do you think you're going to be? And LeBron said, what do you mean? And Phil said, well, do you think you're going to be, you're obviously going to the NBA. I don't think he had been drafted yet, but the lottery, but he's going to be drafted. Everyone knew that. Will you be a really good player? Will you be all-star level player? Will you be perennial all-star player? Will you be great player, like really great? Or do you think you have a chance to be the greatest or one of the greatest ever play? And LeBron goes, why does that matter? Before he gave his answer. So he goes, well, it's very simple. Because if you believe you're going to be one of the greatest ever play or great, then 30 million today actually means nothing. Because we're going to help you build a business. That, that $30 would will be like peanuts to you. But if you don't believe you're going to be an all-time great or great, like you'll just be an all-star, go get the $30 million now because it'll matter to you. And LeBron goes, I'm definitely going to be one of the greatest to ever play. That's how I feel. That's how committed I am. That's the work I'm putting in. And Phil it with well, I can, without a doubt, if that happens, I can give you my commitment that this 30 million will not matter in the long run. And truthfully, they were right. Both of them were right.
1: That he'd that, be one of the greatest players ever.
2: He's one of the greatest players, if not the greatest to ever live, to walk the place. In the and the 30 million to him now means nothing.
1: And the Nike relationship and with uh, LeBron is probably worth-
2: Billions. To billions. Them. They've, I mean, his business is nearing a billion dollars and both of them are right. And by the way, I always tell people, that's why he's Phil Knight, that's why he's LeBron James. <laughs> They're, they're not making any more of both of these guys. But that's a
1: business MBA type of case study,
2: right? Yes. And think about that negotiation to ask that question. It's just a way of thinking. It's a very simple business principle that you know. And I came later to know. Long-term view versus... Sh- it's it's simple. You do this every day. Like, I'm building my company. People made offers to buy it when we raised the money. But I'm like, we're going to keep building this. But you, I could have sold it. And then if you anyone entrepreneur is building a company, like, do I sell it now? Do I sell it a year from now? Do I wait 10 years? Do I take it public? They were basically asking LeBron, how big is your company going to be? If he had a company, Phil was going, how big is your company going to be? We think we can make your company this big. If you think your company is going to be this big, then take the money and go. It's and you so, know that. So thats so the, important. You must see that you run an investment banking firm. You're selling people's business all the time. You see people who come to you and go like, I've hit the ceiling. I need to cash out. Yep. There's nothing wrong with that. But mm-hmm. if there's more room to go. Better bet keep
1: going. It's such an important story because it has a lot to do with alignment of two parties, has a lot to do with the negotiating strategy of Phil Knight, which was the card he had to play, was that card because otherwise a,
2: he was going to lose. But, but remember, the card he's playing, which is brilliant, is he's making LeBron tell the truth about himself like it's not us we're gonna do our thing how good do you think you are so if you think you're really good we're the right place if you think you're just okay i guess there's i shouldn't say i guess you know this and i know this There's a thousand people who take the 30 million dollars now right lebron has never been that guy never he's always the guy like i'm good i'm so good i tell people about this it's weird to see him because he'll do that all the time he's done that five other times in our business career like why would we sell the company now we're just going like anything I'm so, he just believes you would have taken a 30 million. Yes. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> I, but that's unfair because <laughs> the reason that's unfair, but now you I could have <laughs> sold, I could have sold my company when we raised the money in October, but I didn't, but it's unfair because LeBron is quite possibly if not, I mean, there's 7 billion people walking the earth. I don't know how many have walked the earth in the millions of years He's quite possibly the greatest ever, if not the greatest ever, one of the three or four or two yes. best ever to sure. ever do it, or quite possibly the best. I don't know what it feels like to be that good at one thing. Imagine you were that good at one thing that every other person walking planet Earth, you are better than them at whatever, pick a thing. I don't <laughs> know that feeling. So when you wake up every day with that feeling, who the fuck knows how I would think? I mean, exactly. it's impossible to know. Yeah. How you would think. Right. So you could only advise to a point. To a point. To a point. Then he has to make... the. And since he was 18, he would do this. Make the decisions himself.
1: I call these gladiators.
2: He's always been right, by the way. Yeah. He doesn't miss. And he's always been right because he bets on himself. He doesn't even question anything else. Yeah. And he knows what's right for LeBron. He's always clear on that.
1: Yeah. You have to keep making that bet. You have to keep putting... The dice, the cards, the middle of the pot, right?
2: Yeah, exactly. You push the chips in. Yeah. you win. So if you had ten chips, now you have twenty. The Dealer pushes new. You push the twenty back in. Yeah. You win again. You the twenty is now you get forty. Smarter. And one day you could wipe out. But he's like, I'm not good. I will just keep pushing them in. Yeah, I'm that good.
1: Yeah, which is why you got to play long term. You got to play long term until if you know you can't, you got to be smart enough to. yeah, of course. Yeah, I think that story is all about partnership, all about thinking long term has a lot of lessons for today because there's so much disappointing short-term is Thinking. in the market. Tell me about and it. And it's very hard to match up long-term-minded people with long-term-minded capital.
0: That's really a good point. Really hard.
1: Yes. That's a great point. It's easier said than done. And it could be long-term strategic capital. It could be long-term financial capital. But ultimately goes to people and shared risk and shared upside usually people want zero sum game i win you lose doesn't work that way
2: doesn't work that way not at that level and that was the nike lebron relationship It's like if you believe you're going to be that great we know nike we're this great we'll both win if we both deliver on what we how good we both say we are which they both did and they both have had a fruitful relationship for 20 years and it's going to go into the day past lebron's Life on earth is going to keep going. The LeBron sneakers and business will keep going. Nike obviously had a track record by the time LeBron showed up with Michael Jordan. And LeBron believed that much in himself. So it really is real. And to your point, I was there giving them facts. Here's what it is. I never built Nike and I'm not you. So I can't tell you exactly what to do. And I don't know what that feeling feels like.
1: But there are Nikes out there today, the new Nikes. Mm Mm-hmm. And there are the new LeBrons out there today. There are new Mavericks out there today. Yep. And usually in times of chaos, post a pandemic with fears of a recession and unrest and a lot of strife, you have to look into the unknown and build through that. And that's where the best companies and some of the come out. best situations have come out of. And they're out there. And then you have to have a long-term perspective around yep. it. And that's what drives us. Totally. Like, because if you have your health and you have some good luck and some good fortune, some good decision-making, trust, the right relationships, the right network, the right community, principles, friendships, you can play long. Totally. These are the tent poles.
2: Totally. My feeling is always like, what other bet do I have? I'm betting on me, my company in America. I really actually don't have, I don't have another company. The Springer Company is my co- I don't have another company. I got to make this one work. Yeah. So I'm betting heavy on that. I'm betting heavy on me because I'm me everywhere I am. There I am, so I'm me, and I'm an American citizen who grew up in America. Shit's been crazy a lot of different times in America, and it comes out on the other side, and I don't have a passport, or I can't move to Australia or Europe, or my company can't go there, so like, those are the three things I have to bet on, and though I have a lot of gripes with America, this is where I'm from, and I'm here to try and change it through the lens of my company and me, so those are the bets I'm making. If those things go sour, I'm over anyway. So if America goes belly up, I'm toast. If my company sits to bed, I'm toast. And if I make bad decisions, I'm toast. Like, those are my bets. So I'm pushing the chips in on those things. I
1: like it. But taking you outside of America for one second, you and I and LeBron and some other friends hung out in London this summer. Yep. At the beginning of the that summer. That was fun. Yeah. That was a lot
2: of fun. Yeah. And you did LeBron speak to your interns right? yeah, and you <laughs> so, too. Yes,
1: and got you guys to give a little video recording,
2: that's right.
1: to the interns at the beginning of the program that's now come to a nice end. You gave some advice. LeBron gave them some advice. Some other friends gave some advice, and I surprised them with the video at the beginning of the program. And your advice was, always know how to quantify your upside versus your downside. Always know how to measure your downside. Explain that. What is the advice for the new generation coming out of school now in this period, not knowing what they have to bet on yet, but coming into this period, what is the advice?
2: That idea about what I talked to your interns about, about upside versus downside, really, for me, comes from playing cards and being a gambler. And When you play cards, the beauty of cards, my grandmother has a line, when you play a hand of cards and someone will say, shit, if I know one already had the ace, I would have did this different. And my grandmother always goes son, that's why cards have backs on them. You can't see them because in life, you get dealt a certain hand, whatever your hand is. And just like cards, you have to start immediately. If you're getting five cards, you look at one, you start going, I can win this hand or I can't. Oh, should I got a better shot? Mm, Not so much. Because this is the information you have. The information you have is in your hand. I don't know what's in your hand. I don't know what's in her hand. I don't know what's in his hand because the cards have backs. But you're betting. So you have to start immediately thinking about what are my chances of winning versus losing based on the information that I have. This is why information is key, right? So then in any card game, there's cards in the center. And as the game goes around or what a poker, you make a bet based on it. The, then they give you more information. And you're like, oh shit, my upside here is bigger. I think I got a shot to win this. When you're measuring your downside, you're going, but how much am I going to risk based on the information I have? So I have a certain amount of information and in life and in business it works that way, right? I know what I have in my company. I know the revenues issue. I-, I can tell you every number in my company. I know where we're going, and I know where we can go. But if I call Aria or John Doe, they may give me some information about another company. So then I have to start going like, oh, fuck. Based on what John Doe told me and REA told me and she told me, There's other things happening that I have no control of, but I now have the information. And I thought we could get this far. We actually can go double that based on where the world is going because I have more information. And I talked about this. I gave a commencement speech at USC. The way I posed it to them in my speech, and I'll paraphrase myself, but was basically, you guys have a degree from fucking USC, one of the great institutions in the world. Well, that's your downside protection. That is with a degree from USC, what I phrase as a good ass job, because in my neighborhood, that's what it was. My grandmother moms called, they would say, like, you know, their friend got a good ass job, which just meant a job that paid you decently, but you had insurance, you had a 401k. That was a good ass job. It kind of set you up to be okay, to pay your bills and live. I said, guys, you have a degree from USC, you always be able to get a good ass job. So if that's your downside, why not go for something else? Because if you go and start a business or go work at a place like Liontree or a place like Spring Hill and decide you're going to fucking go for it and get a job at Spring Hill or get a job at Liontree and propose some deal that Live Nation should sell their company We should put Live Nation and Spotify together and sell that to Apple. I'm making up shit. It's not a real thing. Go propose that. If you go to REA and he goes, that's the fucking dumbest idea I've ever heard. You're fired. The downside is you have a degree from USC and you can go to some other investment bank or some other place and you'll most likely get a job. So my point to them was based on the information you have, if you think about it in cards, you have that information. And as you now leave and graduate, you will actually get more information about yourself, and the world. And you have to be okay with looking in the mirror and truly knowing who you are, because you will learn, you will get information about yourself too. Like, as you talked about long-term versus short-term, I work at Spring Hill today. It's my company, I'm building it. I wake up every day and look at myself in the mirror and I know, am I okay doing this in the next 20 years? And I have to answer that question every fucking day. And you get that information about yourself, like, I love this, I like it, I like the people, I like the idea. Am I okay doing it for 20 years? If so, then keep going. So you have to get information about yourself, the world, the business you're in, and know your downside. And for me now, I have a proven career. If, I, if you know you can't lose, you can only win. If I screw this thing up and blow it, depending on what happened, I could call you and you'd find something for me. Or So you just always have to know your downside. And the more information you get, and the better you get. Your downside actually comes
1: up. Yeah, I call, I love it, the good-ass job. Good-ass job is a thing. It's a (laughs) thing. That comes from my grandmother in the black
2: neighborhood. That was a thing.
1: I call that the trampoline. And I've talked about it before where if you are jumping on a trampoline and you don't trust the foundation, you're not going so high because you could fall. Yes. You could fall right through. Yep. But if you know the foundation is strong, you jump on it. To the sky. To the sky. And there's no ceiling. Yep. It's the same thing or a ball in the corner pocket of a pool match or billiard you just leave it there you leave it and just go play somewhere else yep. for a while right or the tree the stronger the roots are the higher up you can go it's counterintuitive people just want to build but if you work on those roots mm-hmm. in the ground you're going up high yep. so the foundation that you have if you gamble which i'm not you put half your winnings in your pocket you're going for
2: it you're playing with all you're playing
1: stuff. right you're playing with So if you know you can't lose you can only win yeah,
2: it's, it's investing you get the principal back go Correct. So I think that's great advice. You know? Yeah. I always told my mom, my mom, who I love to death, my favorite person on earth, she worked the same job 28 years and retired. She was a social worker. She basically had a good-ass job. We didn't have anything extra, but we had food and lights and heat. I always told her, mom, I don't want a good-ass job. I'm going to go for it. She hasn't told me in a while because it's like my life now, but she said she would say to me when I was young in my company... I don't know how you do it. I said, do what? She goes, when I got off work Friday at 5 o'clock, 5 o'clock on a Friday, you would never be able to do this. Me either. (laughs) She goes, I didn't think about one thing work-related again until Monday morning at 8. Friday at 5 to Monday morning at 8, I did not take one thing home from work and then think about work and do nothing. And she goes, your life is kind of perpetually... Even if I'm like on vacation. Yeah. Even if I'm on vacation. <laughs> the open. I'm like, all right, come have lunch and let's <laughs> exactly. talk. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. That's what I always tell her. I always tell her, Mom. That's a funny thing, because I always tell the people who work at our company too. I always say, you know, like when you go to a restaurant or a barbershop it's like, sorry, we're closed. And yes, we're open. I always tell PR I always, says, I said, our sign says yes, we're open on both sides. You can flip it if you want, but we're open. Yeah. <laughs> so she always says, and I say, Mom, that's. Because you worked a job, and you worked a good-ass job, and you worked to pay bills. I said, mom, I don't really work. I go and do what I like to do, and it happens to pay me and pay my bills, but I'm doing things that I want to do. I said, you worked. I run a company. It's two different things. But I get her point. Some people feel that way, but that was where I grew up, like a good-ass job, Monday through eight. Friday at five and... I'm sure sometimes
1: you wish you had... Sometimes
2: I do think... (laughs) Exactly. Sometimes I go like, that that seems much cleaner and and more simple than my life. Much more straightforward. Exactly. It's much more, there's no gray area. It's not for everybody. It's not for everybody.
1: But you know, my grandmother, you talked about your grandmother's advice. My grandmother gave me advice, live life where you are. Don't try to put yourself somewhere else.
2: That's a great piece of advice. Always just
1: live life where you are. It's a great piece of advice. And lean into it.
2: You know? And right where you are, enjoy. Just be in that. Be where you are and live life where you are. Yeah. That's a great piece of advice instead of thinking about some other place. or
1: Correct. And that goes to the holistic approach. Totally. Do everything you want to do now. Absolutely. Let it compound
2: yes exactly
1: do other things later
2: do other things later don't put it off yes live
1: life where you are
2: that's a great line you know that's a fantastic line
1: so you take the wisdom of people that came before us you get a good ass job then you play (laughs) forward to what's to come right exactly and the best is yet to come exactly I appreciate your being here my man
2: thank you for having me this was so much fun so much fun man. (laughs) cheers
0: I hope you enjoyed our show today. If you want to check out any prior episodes, find us and subscribe at Apple Podcast, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Feel free to leave a review as well, as it helps people find the show. You can also follow us on social media at KindredCast for behind-the-scenes photos and info. Listen to KindredCast on SiriusXM every Saturday and Sunday at two p.m. Eastern on Business Radio Channel One Thirty Two or stream shows on demand in the SiriusXM app.